Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Latch Mama Podcast. Melissa here. Um, I don't know what day it is. I think it's a Thursday. It's cold. It's rainy again in Virginia because that's what Virginia does. It goes warm, cold, warm, cold, warm, cold until like May and then it's warm. But anyways, we are here today to talk about pelvic floor health, which is like one of our most asked about topics. So stay tuned. You're listening to Latch Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Wirt busy mom of six and owner of latchmama.com. Join us each week as we talk about pregnancy, breastfeeding, postpartum, and all things motherhood. Hi guys. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we have Megan and Riley here today. They are going to talk to us about our pelvic floors and I'm going to ask some questions and they're going to help us understand a little bit more about what's going on and a little bit more about a topic that is definitely not discussed that much. I mean, it's discussed, but it's like not discussed in like more of an educational way. I feel like, I don't know. We can get into that. Um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves a little bit? Tell us a little bit about you. Megan was on episode 16, 16. Um, where we started this conversation and now we're going to continue it. So, yeah, I think we'll touch on some other stuff today. Yeah, so absolutely. my name is Megan Swink. I'm a physical therapist in pelvic health and I work at VCU health full time and have recently got a new team member who's here with me today and will introduce herself. And um, I've been in practice for 15 years. This will be the beginning of my 16th year as a pelvic health physical therapist in Richmond and not slowing down. I love it. Definitely building steam. Yes. And my name is Riley Cash. I'm also a physical therapist. Um, I've been a PT for um, four years now, four and some change. So I'm a little bit new to the game. Um, primarily doing pelvic health the whole time. And now I'm 100% um, pelvic health, which is awesome and exactly what I want to be doing. Um, and yeah. So I'm just going to jump in. And Megan, this is kind of your show too, because I know that you're super passionate about it and probably hear more questions than I do. But what I actually am really curious about is, Riley, how did you get into pelvic health? If that's like, did you know that's what you wanted to do when you decided to become a PT? Um, great question. Thanks for asking that. Um, yes and no. I knew when I was in PT school, the director of my program, um, Karen Abraham, is like a kind of a bigwig in the pelvic um, health world. And she was like the coolest person I've ever met. And I was like, I want to do exactly what she does. I don't care what it is, but I want to do what she does. <laughs> um, and she was just really passionate and just cool. And everything she talked about, she knew so much about everything. Um, and I find that with getting more into pelvic health stuff, you have to know a lot about a lot of different things. Yeah. Or at least a little about a lot. Um, so, and then I realized it was, oh, it's helping women and men and trans and all of these people and all of these really interesting ways and really having to learn a lot about their lives. Um, and it's just more fun. Um, and it's, it's really nice to help people in ways and, and about things that they really don't want to talk about either, um, until it's a real problem. So it's just really, um, empowering, passionate, cool. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, it's a special type of practice for think, sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's probably a little bit more relationship building a little bit. and There's a huge amount of trust yeah. when you talk about looking at somebody's pelvis. And mm -hmm. yeah, there's certain, there's certain, I 
I like to think that we have an exceptionally special type of practice and that our niche is really different. But when you start working as a pelvic health therapist, if you jump right into pelvic health and you haven't spent any time on spinal care and hip care and you haven't really honed some of those skills, it is more difficult to treat holistically because you don't have as many skills like Riley is referencing. So I think, you know, what she came from and where I came from, we both had pelvic health when we started, but we also had orthopedic care. And that I did that for eight years. Most of my practice was actually orthopedics, but that specialty piece was pelvic health. And then over the years really like got into the hundred percent, you know, really wanted to do that. That was the passion. But if this is who you are meant to be, mm-hmm. this is who we are meant to be yeah. for sure. If this is who you're meant to be, you know that and, and you like what you do and it you you know talking about pee and poop and sex all day is like yes give me more tell me everything it's so funny because like you know i remember meeting with you it feels like eons ago i'm sure i had just had a child because i have so many of them i mean i've just (laughs) now had another child um but it's so interesting because you walk in and it's like like my favorite guests and my favorite people i sit down with are the people who like are just doing it for the right reasons and you just know like the passion and like the 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 care and like it's like the midwives who sit down or the social workers who come in here and sit down and it's just this total care that has to go into something that not a whole lot of people talk about not a whole lot of people kind of show up for women in this way or you know anybody in this way um and it's just, it's super refreshing. So. It is. But I think people want to talk about it, but yep. nobody really asks. Yep. So we are one of the professions that ask about yeah. that. And, and and the doulas and the midwives of the world, they yeah. are also asking about the kind of same, same kinds of things. Yeah. Once you get someone talking, they come back and like maybe the second or third time you see them, they're like, so I remember you said something the first day. And can we talk about that more? Because I have this thing going on. And so they open it's up amazing. and they tell you more and you're, and you sit down with them and just like you would with a child, yeah, you sit across absolutely. them and you look at them in the eyes. You don't stand over top of them and you say, yeah, tell me, tell me, just give them a room and they talk. And man, do they tell you some interesting things? And you go, you know what? That really makes a difference. Now I can treat you better. Yeah. And they didn't know that until they got there and i feel like sometimes just giving things we were talking about this earlier giving things words like Mm -hmm. people are like this thing is happening i don't know i don't know what to do with it and then you just say oh are you having x and they're like oh my gosh yes thank you for saying that yeah and it really Mm -hmm. opens the door to this full conversation and it's really a privilege honestly to learn about people and try and help them just fascinating all right, I guess we actually have to talk about the real stuff, but it's just, I always just love it when like there are people here that like, it's like this kindred feeling of just wanting to help and wanting to connect and yes. wanting to have people feel less alone. And like, that's what I do every day. And it's just really cool to just be sitting with other people who do it in a very, very different way than I do. But, um, you know, kind of still in the same way. It's cool. Um, so kind of launching off of that, I really, really kind of want to like, simplify if we can and like destigmatize kind of a little bit of what is happening maybe kind of to the pelvic floor can you just give like 101 like what is happening to the pelvis when we start to grow a child or as the uterus grows and things move around can you just kind of explain a little bit about okay so um 
if we just think about the pelvic floor and the what we would call the musculoskeletal mm-hmm. system, that's aside from all the other things like mm-hmm. what happens to your cardiovascular system and your endocrine system and and a bunch of other mm-hmm. systems. But the muscles, they get a sometimes get mm-hmm. a little softer. Okay. So the hormonal influence can make things a little bit more bouncy and stretchy and so the support that they provide to your organs can be a little bit less or feel like a little bit less. So the the connective tissue stretches and the uterus is kind of stretching down. So sometimes the pelvic floor is loaded a little more, like okay. a little bit heavier bowling ball kind of thing sitting in your in your pelvis. So that can happen. Um, but there, this really ends up being kind of an individual discussion. I think Riley might have some comments on this, but you know, there's just so many different things that can happen. Um, but as you gain weight and as you progress through a pregnancy, as one should gain some weight and grow, there's so earlier on, not that much changes earlier on as far as the pelvic floor. It's really more like the bladder has some changes. The bowel has some changes. But when the baby grows in the second trimester, it actually kind of comes out of the pelvis a little bit. And so you grow more ab- abdominally. And that's where we start to see questions about diastasis and other parts of the body yeah. getting stretched and overstretched and, and concerns with that. The end of the pregnancy is when the pelvic floor has more of a problem. That's when we tend to see more things developing. So the bit when the baby starts to engage in the pelvis, of course, and then, of course, the, the actual delivery itself. That's where most of the pelvic floor impact is. Um, does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, I think so. I just I like like you said before about putting words to it. I think that there's such a power of trying to like explain like a little bit of what is happening and that, you know, it, there are some general things that that do stress just about everybody's yeah. yeah and i think just describing the pelvic floor again yeah. so for people listening who don't really know where their pelvic floor is or what the heck it is um so your pubic bone is in the front of your body and right in front of your bladder and that's where the pelvic floor attaches in the front so if you put your fingers right at the bottom of your pelvis right in the front you're going to feel that bone and then you go like between your legs towards your tailbone and that's the back attachment for your okay. pelvic floor so if you think about that front to back that's sort of the front and back location like a little hammock front to back Back. The muscles also extend to your sit bones. So if you if you do yoga and people say sits bones, those sits bones have pelvic floor muscles attached to them side to side. So I think about it as like a, a diamond shape almost okay. underneath you. Like there's four points, four bones, and th- that's making like a diamond. It is like a bowl. It holds things kind of like the bowl of fruit that holds, you know, the bananas and the oranges and apples and all that stuff. You can think about it like that. You can think about it like a big hammock. You can think about it in a lot of ways. It needs to have flexibility. So the way that a trampoline would have flexibility, like if you bounce on a trampoline, it needs to allow you to absorb some of that pressure, but then you spring up. And that's what the muscles need to do. When they squeeze, they should lift and they should push things up. And so that's one of the things we talk about with patients when we talk about muscle training or, you know, helping support a prolapse or something like that, because we've talked briefly about that before. So the muscles have to have flexibility, but they have to have some tension. So there's like a sweet spot there. And pretty much everything in pelvic floor PT is about having the right flexibility and mobility and strength. It's the balance of all of those things. Does wow. that give you a yeah? No, a I very just I, no. Global... I'm like okay, just just keep talking. This is great. No, <laughs> there, I mean, I there's just, a million yeah. analogies, is yeah. what it is. No, I love it. So, um, so you mentioned the word prolapse. One of the biggest questions that we got leading into this into this podcast is, can you define the term prolapse? I think it's something that kind of gets thrown around a little bit. Um, what does that mean? Is there a definition there? 
There's a definition. You went to, go ahead. Okay, well, a prolapse is a, an organ that is not in its natural, normal, original anatomical position. Okay. So if we took an image of your bladder mm-hmm. and your uterus and vagina and your rectum and we saw a side view of that, like on an on a, uh, MRI, for example, okay. and then you came to us and you said, you know, I'm having this problem and um, it feels like things are droopy or something's falling down. And we had a new image, you know, more recent image. And we compared those two. We might literally be able to see that the anatomical position of one of your organs, it could be many of the many organs. Um, it could be sort of drooping down and not sitting up as high as it was before. Um, so prolapse, it means the organ has come down but there's okay. lots of types prolapse is a general term for something is drooping down there's bladder prolapse which is called a cystocele cysto refers to bladder okay. uh, there's rectocele meaning the rectum has a droopy thing going on there's many types there's something called an enterocele that is the intestines kind of drooping down in it's a that's a little hard to visualize, but it yeah. comes down sort of behind the vagina, between the vagina and the rectum usually. And it can be too that the, you know, that taking that same image of like, okay, here's a my anatomy at rest mm-hmm. and it's one place. And then say when you're having a bowel movement and you have a lot of constipation that you have to really push hard. So that could really change where your anatomy is. Um, and honestly, sometimes can make like if you already have the prolapse and you're doing a lot of pushing, it just accentuates the prolapse and okay. makes all of your symptoms feel worse because you're increasing pressure. So it's a lot about like pressure management yes. um, and kind of figuring out what that is. And that's into treatment, not exactly what it is, but um, yeah. it's a lot about pressure. I, you guys talk and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to process this, but I can't process this because <laughs> I have to leave this podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, you There's guys a lot just, of pieces guys, of that. Yeah, you guys just talk and I'm just going to take notes. And just <laughs> I mean, prolapse. So if you really um, go global with prolapse yeah. and you step back and you go, okay, so Riley's talking about pressure mm-hmm. and pressure yep, management. Which makes sense. It makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. Then we go, okay, well, hold on a second. Well, we're not just going to look at your pelvic floor muscles because that's yep. just the bottom of the pressure management mm-hmm. situation. What's on the front? Oh, that's that abdominal compartment again. Absolutely. Oh, shoot. Do you yep. have a diastasis? Oh, man. Okay. So like, then you go back and you go, okay, what's your breathing like? Do you have normal breathing? Do you, you know, do you hold your breath all the time? How's your posture? Yeah. What's going on with your spine? And so we end up going to our lovely core idea where we talk about all the sides of your trunk and we say, okay, as pelvic health therapists, if we're doing our best job at managing a prolapse, Mm -hmm. we're looking at all the sides of your core and how do they all function together? And that it turns into quite a big you know, piece of information. There's many pieces. And so that is hard for some patients to do on their own. They don't yeah. know how to assess themselves. If you read about prolapse, you're probably just learning about what I first said, which mm-hmm. was about the anatomy kind of drooping down. So this, it kind of, you know, the rehab really goes into a lot more than that. So I assume that there are prolapses that need some sort of surgery or intervention that way as well. There's grades of prolapse. So the severity often dictates the choice in the treatment. So Mm -hmm. the the smaller prolapses, like a grade one and a grade two, are the ones we see the most in the clinic. If you have a grade three, some people can rehab a grade three, which means that it can be coming out of the body. Okay. So if you feel something and you look and you get a mirror out and you go, there is literally something coming out of my body. And you're worried about that. It may not be anything hugely concerning especially if it's not there all the time but people ask that all the time too is i just had this like 
emotional reaction oh, of boy. just like no of no of comfort when you said the word rehab like i i don't believe i have a prolapse in any way but it's there's something about saying the word rehab that i think takes this out of oh my gosh there's something wrong with me there's something broken because we use the word rehab all the time you tear your acl you mm-hmm. get rehab you you know you hurt yourself you do something you know growing up in the sports world you do rehab but it's so funny because i've never heard the term rehab with something as I, I don't know there's 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 a connection and i know if i just had it that other people listening probably had it too because it seems like it just kind of it doesn't demystify it it almost just like relaxes it into hey this is okay and like there's a solution and we're going to work towards it does that make sense at all yeah of course <laughs> it's just like the way you have like i you tear your achilles like you can yeah. have an obstetrical tear with childbirth it's a muscle among other things that is yeah. injured and it needs some rehab absolutely yeah it's just i don't I, I don't know for some reason it just it it kind of took that like massive like oh my gosh things are out of place like there is something immensely wrong and you you add just a simple term that we've all been hearing our entire life that says hey there are people out there that know how to fix these things there are people out there that have studied this there you know it just gives it a word absolutely also yeah also when you were talking about um you know the surgery you know surgery Mm -hmm. we talked we talked we do talk to patients about surgery Uh, patients very often are appropriate for surgery but Mm -hmm. even if they are coming to rehab as a mm-hmm. prehab as you would for yep. maybe an ACL mm-hmm. or maybe another body part um, that does improve the outcome of a surgery because if the reason you ended up with your prolapse in the first place is from a poor pressure management thing we want to fix that problem yeah. and so that when you do have your surgery if you do then you don't maybe even need to come back maybe you don't need post-surgical rehab Maybe you do, but you're already a couple steps ahead. You're like, okay, I'm back. I remember what we talked about before. I'm not holding my breath. I'm breathing when I exercise. I'm pooping regularly without straining. All those things are important and will make the life of your surgery last. So we see quite a few patients pre and post, and we, we try to see them if it's possible. It's not a program that's regular in a lot of places. Like thinking of prehab and pelvic floor physical therapy or pelvic mm-hmm. health PT, I would not say that that's a standard. What would no, you say? I, honestly, yeah. there's, it would be nice. There's just not enough of us to really, and yeah. a lot of like need. It yeah. would be nice, but yeah. yeah. So I feel like actually between the first time we podcasted and now, I feel like it's more talked about like pelvic floor. And I don't know how long ago that was when we first podcasted about it. Um, but I think it definitely needs to be talked about more. I think that there are a lot of women and I'm sure men walking around that are scared that something is wrong with them that can be easily rehabbed um, and easily talked about. Um, What is kind of that first step? Like, what would you say in terms of kind of demystifying the process? I mean, you guys are meeting with, I'm women and men all day long doing this. I think it's probably become kind of second nature to you, but I think it's also a really scary idea for some people. It depends on sometimes who your providers are, your Mm -hmm. medical providers. If you have a medical provider that you're working on a problem with them, let's say it's urinary incontinence, for example, if you're working with a urologist or a urogynecologist and you say to that person, I have this problem, what can be done? Physical therapy should be offered if it's appropriate. That isn't always happening. 
So some of our patients did the research on their own and they went online and found some resources and they said, I read that physical therapy could be helpful. Will you refer me to physical therapy? That's still happening a lot. Why is it not being? That's a great question. I'm not trained the way the physicians are, so I'm not sure. I think some of it depends on where they go to school, who they work with, if they do fellowships and residencies, how do the fellowship and residency programs train them to treat Mm -hmm. patients? And so if they work with somebody who spends a lot of time referring to pelvic floor PT, they're probably used to referring to pelvic floor PT. And that seems like normal to them, but um, it's not everywhere. Um, I would say probably the, the population of uh, patients that we see the most referrals from is a urogynecology physician specialty. That's also a very small number of specialists. We're blessed to have three wonderful urogynecologists at our pelvic health clinic where we work, but there aren't really that many around. There's tons of urologists everywhere, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they pay attention to all the genital complaints at the same time that the patient is complaining about a urinary complaint. Or if they are open to a situation where not only do they hear them, but anybody would ever be willing to talk about them. Sometimes, Sometimes. that's a barrier. Um, I, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I I'm not saying, helpful. I mean, I'm not saying that it's like a huge problem that we need to talk about, but I just know that there have yeah. been very many, not very many. I feel like there are very few physicians that I have ever sat with that I would ever probably talk about. I don't know anything that I would talk about with you too. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I think it depends. I think it depends, yeah. but yeah. I, th- I think the, um, I don't have anything else. To say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She usually she does. <laughs> no, we, will, uh, we, we, will, we will pivot here. Um, no, 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 it's good. I mean, I don't, we don't need to go down that, that whole, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, so there are a lot of questions and, people talk about like we have this private Facebook group. It's called Latch Mama Love for those of you who don't know. Um, But it's a really fun place. There are a lot of people in there. It's a very safe space. There are a lot of questions about what that first visit looks like. Like, hey, I I think that there's something quote unquote wrong or hey, I am having a hard time getting through the day without having some sort of leaking problem or you know, some sort of, of issue. Um, what does that first appointment look like with you guys? Can you can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to start out and talk about so, patient intake? Yeah, so I love a first visit. Um, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I'm kind of a huge fan. Okay, go ahead. Um, I love meeting people, so that I really enjoy that. Um, so, you know, patient mm-hmm. comes back. I, I know, I see the order, so I know vaguely why they're there. If I'm lucky and they're kind of within our health system, um, which is a lot of our patients are within VCU, um, then I know some background info. Sometimes it's just like cold and I don't know much about them at all. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the order's wrong and it's wrong anyway, but that doesn't matter. Um, so, like, I introduce myself mm-hmm. as I am Riley. Um, uh, welcome to pelvic floor physical therapy. Um, you know, and I say, basically I set the tone of what we're going to do. Um, yeah. I'm saying we're going to do a lot of talking. I'm going to ask you a lot of different questions about a lot of different things. Urinary questions, bowel questions, pain questions, what you eat, what you drink, how you sit on the toilet. Uh, really anything like that is fair game. 
Um, and then I'll say things like, and then we'll take a look at what's going on. I might look at the way you breathe, the way your abdominals work, um, your hip mobility, back mobility, um, certainly your pelvic floor muscles and how they're working. Do they contract and do they relax? Um, and then, um, and then I go from there. And so I say, so tell me your story. What's going on? Um, so, and that may or, or may not include an internal exam. Um, most often it does because I, you know, that's an important part and a kind of a niche of what we as pelvic floor PTs do, um, which I don't think is particularly scary. So that internal aspect of the exam, is that to feel the muscles and the contracting and strength of them? Like it's you were so about many things and okay. patients ask us this every day. I had a patient ask this today. Well, they did an exam with me when I went to the urologist. So why do I need to do that here? Or I was at the gynecologist who referred me. They had said my muscles were fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yeah. are they? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like in your head every yeah. time. Are you sure about that? Um, what do you mean? Did, did they give you a muscle strength? Did they tell you if your right and your left were the same? Did they check your sensation? Did they check your reflexes? Did they check? How's your endurance? All the things. Can you do quick mm-hmm. contractions? I don't know. You're like, what's a quick contraction? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get, this is, this yeah. is, we don't, we don't, what we just did with you rapid fire yeah. is not what we would do to a patient. <laughs> yeah. But now you're going, oh, there's a lot more things on that list of things to know yeah that's what we're trained to do we're trained to break it down what are all the different things because that's going to dictate what we do to treat the patient and we don't need to over treat the patient we just need to give them the right things to do so it allows us to decide for the most part we we break down patients based on you know do they have tight muscles and they have difficulty with relaxing so that would be like in the trampoline reference earlier the trampoline is too tight and there's no spring, there's no bounce. That's not going to work well for relaxing or squeezing, actually. So that's a pretty or inefficient muscle. Probably, correct, well. correct. That typically would be a patient with pain. Mm-hmm. Not always. Um, so there's, you know, so the idea is the examination, the pelvic floor examination, yeah. is an examination to gather data so we can, can feel yeah. the muscles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a palpation. So, yeah, can we can we yep. talk? Can, can we? Oh yeah, let's, let's, yeah, yeah, let's in there. do it. Okay, I mean, are so, we talking fingers in the vagina? Yes. Are we talking fingers in the vagina or in the rectum. So okay. it depends on why they're there. Okay. Um, a lot of times the bowel problems, we will ask the patient if they're comfortable having a rectal examination. Okay. If you have tailbone pain, if you have difficulty evacuating, if you have fecal incontinence, I'm going to say, I think the best choice for you is a rectal examination. I want to feel what's happening in each layer of tissue because there are different sphincters around the opening to the anus than there are around the vagina. So I want to know what's going on there. Okay. It's very I'm unusual. <laughs> this is every day I for us. Know, normal. This is normal. It's and it's so great to have you guys talk about it like it's so normal. But I, yeah, okay. There's okay. also I, actually I mean, was it's a, fine. It's yeah, fine. It's, it's just, fine. Everything it's, is okay. It's. I mean, and it's probably it's so important and like. I, I love it. Like, let's just, let's keep talking about it. Cause the more we talk about it, the more we have words for it. It's exactly. great. Just give it's it a great. word. Yeah. Usually, uh, so usually, so rectal exams, yeah. just to be clear, are usually a single digit exam. Okay. So it's usually an index finger. So I'll say this is a digital exam. Okay. And then people give me the look like digital exam. And so I put my finger in the air and I wiggle it around yeah. and I say, and they check your fingernails. And I say, <laughs> check your fingernails. <laughs> Have you cut your fingernails recently? Um, so yeah, that actually people do that sometimes. Um, so digital exam, meaning your digit is okay. the testing piece of equipment. Okay. That's our specialized equipment. It's this is my number one tool. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's fun to work with us, by the way. We, I, we I do this you guys. every day. Um, so vaginal exams can be one finger tests okay. also, but there is some recent research actually about using a two finger test as okay. a better test for an individual therapist so that you can yeah. do that. If, okay. if someone has really loose, wide tissues mm-hmm. and you really can't feel them squeezing, if you were to put two fingers, you might get a better sense of a squeeze around your fingers, honestly. Okay. So, you know, that wouldn't be something you would do with someone with pain usually. You would mm-hmm. start with something skinny, yeah. meaning one finger. Yep. So, so it is designed to give us information. Our, one of our best tools is what we feel. Yeah. So we don't put people in stirrups. People ask that. Okay. There's no bright lights shining on your vagina and your rectum. Um, your feet are usually placed flat on the table with your knees bent. If you have, you know, discomfort in your in your back and you want a support, we have, have bolsters and pillows and we try to make the patient comfortable. You have a sheet or a gown or something to cover your lower half. Um, we try to make sure people are comfortable, um, just physically comfortable yep. so they can perform the testing measures. And then it's designed to be interactive. So we don't have people where they can't see anything. I would be looking at you the way I'm looking at you now. And I would say, do you feel that muscle right there? And you would say, I don't know what you're talking about. What muscle? (laughs) Or, yeah, "Yeah, I feel something. And I might say, am I pressing on the right or the left? And and you get to tell me what you feel. And then you ask your questions as we go. It's I design an interactive you know, exam, because I want people to ask the question that they have at the time they have it. Yeah. So they learn during the exam. Yeah. If I do everything, people are probably isolating those muscles. In yeah, their life. maybe, the- maybe some people are quite, some people surprisingly, I mean, they've like, they're like, yeah, I've never, I've never really done Kegels and you'd give them the instructions and it's like, boom, they got it first try wow. okay. sometimes. So okay. I, I've been surprised several times. And sometimes but, people are like, yeah, I was, yeah. you know, exploring the other but, day and you know, the spot right on, yeah, you wow. think about it like a clock, like right at my seven o'clock yeah, is yeah. right where it right. hurts. And cool. it's, and they're know, right. I love it. And they're right. It's like, yeah, yeah. yep. Seven o'clock, seven yeah. 30 maybe. But, but that's seven. very validating too. Right. So <laughs> the person's like, I mean, nobody, nobody's looked at it. Can you check? It's, I don't know. And you know, and you go, oh yeah, good job. You found the spot. And they're like, okay, good. Okay. But what am I supposed to do about it? Yeah. So, you know, that's why they come in. It's, it is, it's, it's all about, for us, it's just like treating a shoulder or a hip. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, let's see how this moves. This is springy. Okay. That's good. Okay. Well, this is loose. This is tight. This is weak. This is strong. Whatever it is, we're going to treat it like we would treat any other body part. It's just, it's just inside your body. <laughs> it's just a little harder to find to see and you know at the coffee shop you're not talking about your yeah. springy pelvic floor the way you would talk about your bendy knee but but i mean it's just we should. much of an important part yeah. of your body i Maybe mean we joke about important? it yeah, we joke probably. about yeah. you know being at the coffee shop and waving it so how's your pelvic floor you know how's <laughs> <laughs> that pee problem um, um is every should. is everything everything internal from that point on or are you i mean i'm sure it, i'm sure no. everybody is treated differently from i mean 100 percent individualized problem. treatment yeah. mm-hmm. absolutely totally. there's a little bit of some sort of you know pathways you know yeah, it might be like this is what we found um these you know maybe our treatment options we might want to revisit this later and just recheck or you know maybe the best treatment is something you know, internal base here in the clinic that I can help you with, or maybe I can teach you to do it at home and that's more effective for you and kind of what you need, but it totally depends. It also depends on the patient's interest in participating. Okay. So some patients will say, so let's take an example of pelvic pain post postnatal, maybe. Okay. So a patient who is trying to re-engage in intercourse after having a baby and they've been having pain. 
So they may have some tight muscles. They may have a scar. We're going to probably ask that person to do some work on their own muscles. So we're going to say, take your fingers and do this little massage technique on your scar. And this is how often you should do it. And this is how hard to press and, you know, use the coconut oil or use your lubricant or whatever they have and whatever we decide. And then they come back, you know, in a couple of weeks and we say, how's it going? And then they can give us the feedback or the challenges and, um, and then we can move them forward and, and they'll say, you know what, it worked really great when I was here at physical therapy. Would you please show me that again? Or I had such a good response. Can you treat me again? Or I got it. I, I feel good. I've got it. And, and let me just work on it and, and I'll let you know if I need you. And that's great. I mean, we're happy to do any of those things. You know, our job is to help the patient become independent not to be dependent on us. So, God, I have so many questions. Okay. So, <laughs> we the first visit happens, the intake, you guys kind of put a plan together, a treatment plan. Um wh- what is it normally like from that point on? Is it I'm sure like I said it's I know it's individualized, but is it weekly, monthly, what how also often? depends okay. on the patient. Um one of our current issues i i would say at vcu specifically is we have a long wait list of patients and we don't have as good availability sometimes as we would like to for scheduling patients if i saw patients as an ideally as i would i probably would see them more frequently than i do some of our patients follow up once a week that's probably is it would you say riley that's the most frequent you see someone Definitely, that would be the most frequently. The most frequent. Sometimes it's hard to see change within a week, <clears throat> True. so I'll back it off just a smidge. But um, in a yeah. in a pretty severe pelvic pain situation, we probably would try to see somebody once a week at the beginning, and then we would gradually space them out. You know, okay, now we're going to give you two weeks between. Let's see how you do, and give you some you know self management. Um, I would say the majority of our patients probably follow up every three to four weeks. Honestly, totally, so we give totally them a lot agree. of homework. They, they have homework. It's, it's, you know, everybody has responsibilities. We do our piece and then we give them their pieces. And if you come back and you haven't done it, we're not going to give you a hard time about that. Yeah. We're going to give you a hug. We're going to say, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Things have been hard. Everybody has hard months. Everybody has hard years. Like maybe this has just been really tough or they felt embarrassed about something that we talked about or they had a weird side effect and they didn't know what to do. We try really hard though to give people... Here's my email. Here's my phone number. Call me, email me. You know, we want patients to reach out. We don't want them to stop doing things because they're concerned about something and they don't let us know. So we try. I get a lot of patient email. I do a lot of emailing and I think it's okay. It, you know, I do that. And if someone doesn't show up, I check my email and answer a couple patient questions or I call them. A lot of patients are better with the phone. They don't know how to put words to things. Yeah. So sometimes that is one thing, you know, you call them, but um, we try to see them physically every, every three to four weeks, usually. Another question that we get um, from people a lot is, Hey, I just had a baby two, three weeks ago, a month ago. I'm feeling this or that. Like, I'm sure you guys would say always go get it checked out if you have the resources. A lot of women don't have the resources. They don't have, um, you know, the opportunity. Are there things that naturally will start to shift and start to feel better over time um, after childbirth? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, Riley, talk about the diastasis component because we did yeah, look, absolutely. kind um, of brush up on the research a little oh bit. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, definitely things will change. So, um specifically from a diastasis perspective. um, Do you want to define that first? 
for me. Sure. Or so like just give a general like. So a diastasis or a dias dias. Oh my gosh, diastasis rectus <laughs> I love it or a DRA. I somehow got out of even trying to say that word today, and I'm really proud of myself. Diastasis or diastasis recti. Um, basically, it's a separate. So you have um, different layers of your abdominal muscles. Um, a DRA is a separation of your rectus abdominis, which is like the six pack traditional ab. I don't um, know. If, is this visual at all? Is this something that yeah. we can? Yeah, we can. Kennedy might be able to drop it in later oh. on YouTube. Yeah, drop so it in there. there's yeah, actually there's actually some good resources online, but it gets dicey when you start doing Google searches yeah, and stuff like absolutely. this. But for sure, keep, but I'm I, sorry, I do you know that it's like one of it's like the prolapse. It's like the hit word. It's yes. like what people talk about constantly yes. hot topic yeah also hot a hot topic in pelvic health pt yeah yeah like what yeah and in the things. world in general yeah um very common very 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 common um if you do nothing it will probably get a little bit better as time goes on um i think the recent stats that we have um in the immediate postpartum period 35 to 60 percent of women will experience a dra um it does decrease with increased postpartum time so for example at the six-week time Sixty percent of women will ex be experiencing symptoms of diastasis at six months postpartum. Forty-five percent of women, wow. and at twelve months postpartum, thirty-two percent of women are experiencing uh, a DRA. Can I just really quickly comment on the fact of like it? Sh yes, we're talking about abdominal muscles right now, but it really truly states like how long it truly takes for your body to get back you know i feel like we, we rush it so much in society yes and like i mean look at that your body is still if you do nothing at 12 months you're still getting back to the way your body was prior to carrying that baby you know what i'm saying yeah yes i think that well the whole topic of calling someone postpartum and, and attaching mm -hmm. a timeline to yeah. that i've always had i've always struggled with that having had a couple of children yeah that i always felt like it was at least two years before i was like all right i think things are sort of back to normal yeah but not even really, especially yeah. after multiples, you know, children. And I only had two. I know you have I know more I have than six, I do. But I like look at myself <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever looked at like this at four months postpartum. But then I'm like, dude, I'm right. going to give myself a full 12. Look at that. Yeah, girl. Yeah. I mean, look at that. It's fine. <laughs> it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it's interesting that we just put such a short yeah. timeline on when our bodies should be back to normal. There's there's, there's a new normal. Absolutely. Let's just throw that yeah. out the window. It's not normal. Yep. There's not the normal is not a thing that yeah. I like to choose to discuss. I don't mean, just, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to use the term. It's normal, like, but what does it matter? What, your bodies are, yeah, different. Anyway, we want, we want people they're to different. They're, they're different. different. And we have to, and we have to love the different <laughs> stuff and we have to figure out how to work with that. Yeah. Because Absolutely. that is a thing. What you're exactly yeah. what you're saying is one of the things that comes up in diastasis a lot is I want to be the same as I was before. And newsflash, it's not the same. Yep. And it probably won't be exactly the same. I, I, there are people who look the same, seem to have similar function, but I would say by and large, that's not the case because so much of it is like the way I look at it and I'm not a physical therapist and you guys may totally call my BS on this, but isn't it a little bit like a rubber band or a balloon that like once it blows up, it's never going to get exactly back no i think call, riley was call, about to decide that. <laughs> did it look like i had a point on this i think like um feel free to chime in but i think of um you know what is really happening with the diastasis it's like yes the muscle is separating but there's also like a lot of fascial layers in there so i think about what it layers? as 
<laughs> Say that again. What layers? Fascial. What does that mean? Fascial. Um, I can spell it. Um, <laughs> fa- <laughs> so fascia. You have fascia all throughout your body. It's basically like a supportive structure. Um, it's the sh- okay. Chick. You, do you cook chicken? Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. It's the shiny stuff on the outside of the chicken that is so tough and it doesn't mm-hmm. stretch very well. Got it. Yeah. And okay. you're like, wow. and you're like, oh my gosh, do I cut it? Do yeah, I no, tear it? I don't know what to do. You a little it's between. Exactly. Exactly. So she's saying it's throughout okay. your body. It's between all the layers. So yes. you have Got like, it. if you were ha- um, so if you opened the trunk mm-hmm. up and you you cut open the belly trunk of the body. Yeah. Okay. You open Got the it. belly. Okay. Like a C-section. You yeah. open the belly. You kind of open the skin layer and then you peel down the fat and then you go, oh here's a layer of fascia let me open that up and unzip that and then you go oh okay. here's a muscle layer let me open that oh another layer of fascia okay let's open that up okay another okay. muscle layer and so you're doing like this sort of alternating situation so between all the muscles mm-hmm. and in the compartments of the body are these layers called fascial layers it's connective tissue okay it's not contractile is what it is our muscles are connective tissues but we can squeeze them the fascia lives around that and kind of slides and glides, but it doesn't move in the same way as a muscle. So I can't squeeze my fascia. I okay. can squeeze my pelvic floor and there's fascia around it Fascia's between my that. my new favorite word. F-A-S-C-I-A. It's probably not how I would have spelled it. Fascia. Fa- fascia. I'm not sure country of origin, fascia. but. Okay. All right. I'm proud of your spelling bee <laughs> techniques. Can you use it in a sentence, please? Your fascia is loose. I don't know. That one probably wasn't a good sentence. <laughs> um what were we talking about (laughs) diastasis oh okay so theoretically i like i had a patient yesterday i was explaining this to she was her third pregnancy and she had a dra at the first one she did lots of exercise came back you know no separation all was beautiful second baby got a little bit worse and you know she was like i'm doing all this exercise it was really slow but it did come back third baby now um is very far apart um and she was like why is it not the same and i was kind of explaining to her like you know you think about you stretch a rubber band and then it comes back maybe yeah it has a little bit spring like to it you stretch it even further again maybe it loses a little bit more elasticity I just like to say that i've already said that once in this podcast so <laughs> yeah am, uh, good very good me. you're not calling bs on my <laughs> no. rubber band comment uh and then it's like you know it's a good stretch so it's yeah. a lot a lot a lot of work and lots of different you know muscle imbalances and all sorts of other things that are going on um is that also sometimes why a lot of people ask this question too like second and third pregnancies you start to feel a little bit more at the beginning as you grow larger just because your muscles have already stretched or whatever you know what i'm saying not yeah not, not movement but just like more discomfort sometimes most mo- in most page most people the yeah subsequent pregnancies you're gonna start stretching out a little bit more quickly and the connective tissue does not return to the exact original state mm-hmm. and so it's easier for it to start stretching out faster yeah. and earlier and ha- harder to hide pregnancies earlier yeah. and stuff Absolutely. like that yeah and diastasis right. yes and sometimes more back pain and some of those things do tend to be they don't have to happen but they tend to happen it's common okay i agree, I agree. okay <laughs> all right so what were we talking about we were talking about diast you brought that up she was explaining diastasis 
So the so the concern with diastasis, I think this is where the literature is um, changing a little bit mm-hmm. in the last several years. So a lot of people are concerned about the way it looks when their belly has a separation. So two big things can happen. If you have the separation of this abdominal wall um, and you have like a divot in your belly, you put your finger, if you put your fingers, you take two fingers or a couple fingers, stick them in your tummy straight up and down above your belly button, not at your belly button, but above your belly button. That's the most common place to test for this. Usually we would do this lying down. You would lie down. So it's not going to work this way. All right. Probably not. Well, you can do it in your chair. Yeah, get in there. So you stick your fingers straight in, (laughs) okay? okay? And then lift your head and shoulders off of your yep. Off of the chair. Keep your back keep your back down. Lift your head and shoulders up like you're doing a little curl. Like a crunch. It's like a crunch. And what you feel, you may feel on the sides of your fingers. Mm -hmm. You might see feel these rigid walls of muscle. If you kind of get an idea of how wide that is. Okay. So that is called your interrectus distance. Okay. okay? That's the, the space between the walls of okay. the, the muscles. Okay. okay. They're, They're supposed the, to be together. Um, actually, actually they're like a the normal is, is, is okay to have like a finger ish. Okay. So if you have like one finger, I think most of the time that's not a big like deal. Less than two ish is okay. It's a little complicated mm-hmm. because my fingers and your fingers aren't the same distance. Mm-hmm. So different therapists are going to be like, Ooh, one finger. That's great. Another pair of therapists might say, well, that's two of my fingers. So it really should be measured in a different way. That's not research does not support doing it with fingers very well. But, um, I've measured my fingers, so when I document in my uh, in my chart at work, <laughs> yeah. I'll say one finger width equals 1.5 centimeters. Like I need to say that because if I want to know how wide that is, yep. most of the research says two to two and a half centimeters is like where we start cutting things off as being concerning. So for me, that's like you know, one of my fingers is definitely not that concerning, but two would be on the like okay, now we need to pay attention to this. The thing is, it's not just about that interrectus distance. It's not just the width. It's the pressure that's going on. This goes back to pressure. We already talked about pressure. So pressure in the abdominal cavity. If the belly pushes your fingers out, you push in and then when you lift your head, it physically pushes your fingers out. That is a pressure management concern. Regardless of how wide the distance is, you're pushing out and that is going to potentially worsen that problem. So let's assume that you're doing that every time you do a crunch. That's bad. Got it. It can also go sinking in. So some patients, they have um, diastasis where they have an interrectus distance that's, you know, a couple fingers wide maybe, and they lift their head and things actually sink like a little valley. That's called invagination. And it means that the tissue is like loose in the middle, almost like that rubber band thing. Instead of being pulled tight and then pushed out, it's actually like, loose and it's kind of hanging into your trunk so it's not tight either okay that's bad so the people or the patients who show up who say hey i think i might have this thing that i can't pronounce yes I'm gonna, I can try, a, D- a dra it's not gonna work very well <laughs> DRA. um so are they coming normally because it doesn't look right. Or are they coming because there's symptom? There's something symptomatic going on with it. I think people. Uh, I don't know about you, but people usually say that they just feel really weak, um, and maybe they're having some other complaints like urinary stuff as well. Because it's all related. 
It's all connected. It's all connected. I think by fascia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. F A S C I A. You got it. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what most of the time people say. People will I would definitely say, yes. say that they feel weak. Um, mm-hmm. I see this bulge sticking out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they test themselves. Actually, I have a fair number that have come and said, I have diastasis and I, I just need you to check and just tell me what to do. And sometimes I check and I'm like, you have fantastic abdominal wall actually and they're so surprised by that and they're like oh my gosh thank you so much for giving me the confidence that I, this yeah. is not as bad as i thought sometimes it's not a problem but um because i would say it that does, it does sometimes make yeah like t- tell me about like what it because there there i feel like sometimes i hear more of the component of we were talking about that face the aesthetic thing the aesthetic thing yeah that is a huge part for people and so one of the challenges i think for our profession is to separate if possible the aesthetics from your function and i was just referencing tension on the abdominal wall and bulging out those are functional issues and we talked about pressure management and it and when you work on diastasis it can help with prolapse and stress incontinence and pelvic girdle pain and all that stuff our job is to focus on function but inevitably we're usually going to talk about aesthetics if the patient is upset about the way their abdominal wall looks so we do talk to patients about exercise we are physical therapists in fact we can talk about exercise <laughs> too not just yeah. the pelvic floor qualified, muscles yes qualified um so so we do talk about you know endurance exercise we do give advice on you know types of exercise we do give advice on nutrition if it's appropriate um, so, you know, when we do, when we do bowel and bladder problems, we're definitely talking about nutrition, you know, foods and, and diet and liquids and things like that anyway, but this population, we can direct them to other resources. So we try to stay in our lane, but if we're the person that they're sharing, absolutely, we're listening, mm-hmm. we're getting on that level with them and we're trying to help. You can be really strong and not have a six pack for sure. So I had a pretty significant diastasis after my second. I had a little bit after my first, but after my second, I think it was about four or five finger widths. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> you would really? never know. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're amazing. Could you, You're so surprised. I am surprised. I didn't know that. Could you tell by looking at yourself? Um, yeah, I could feel it. So if I okay. tried to sit, like if I was lying on my back and I curled up at all, mm-hmm. I would feel a little bulge in my lower belly. So I knew that I wasn't protecting my abdominal wall appropriately. Um, and so there's a lot of protection things you can so do. So funny because that's like not a normal thing. Yeah. Just like, I mean, as a physical therapist, of course, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm not protecting my abdominal wall. I mean, even when <laughs> so I, like, like, this I mean, is like it just seems... months and months after the baby. Yeah. I mean, early on, I was doing a lot of gentle protection. Yep. Um, and that baby, I had a C-section actually. Um, not an emergency, but just had a C-section. And so things were really just disused and overstretched. And I had sizable children for my size body. Um, so things got stretched. My connective tissue got pretty stretched out. So the second one, it wasn't that surprising. I was like, Oh, well, that's pretty significant. And so I had to spend a lot of energy rehabbing my own abdominal wall. I knew what to do, but it still took a couple years to do it. Yeah. So I think that's good for people to know. And my, my belly is not closed. I still have a finger or two. It depends on the day, actually kind of depends on when I've been active and what kind of exercise I've been doing and how much coughing I've been doing. Like that makes a difference. So, so people are, if they measure themselves every day for a week, it might not be exactly the same every day. So be mindful of that too. But it, but it takes a lot of time. We were talking about Mm. postpartum. Yeah. 
So you just said something that I've really never thought of. Um, in terms of protecting your abdominal wall after pregnancy, are there things we shouldn't be doing even when we get that, you know, magical ding, 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 six week, you're cleared to go back and do whatever you need to do in life? Because I think we talked about sex the first time I was here mm-hmm. a little bit and that whole taboo thing about mm-hmm. like, you're free, go have sex. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, oh, sure. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but are, are there uh, things we should be mindful of you're thinking like, of abdominal I'm just, yeah i'm just thinking like in terms of exercise or like yes you know there's there's some ob yep. somewhere yep. some physician that says okay you're good everything's yep. great you yep. had a baby here's your baby yep. go exercise go have sex go live your life go whatever like yeah. as physical therapists is yep. there something that you guys would like to speak on that so about? many things there's so many <laughs> there's so many things Thoughts. to talk about yeah. um as far as exercise i think exercise is a big topic that mm-hmm. there's diastasis is protection that's a that i would say a separate issue we could talk about that separately but as far as exercise there is some research and some rules around returning to sports and athletic type of things especially the running population it was i, I most of the research is geared towards return to run mm-hmm. or return to sport and so they're thinking of high impact stuff okay. so a lot of people like to run or yep. jog or whatever or go to step classes or do whatever something bouncy even zumba you know has like jumping around yep. so any of those types of high impact things there are some guidelines now clinical guidelines um, that help us decide when and if someone should return. So we have a testing protocol now. We have a series of questions we ask the patient that are specific to that population. And we try to get patients coming into the clinic um, before they're at 12 weeks, usually, or, or like eight to 12 weeks is like a pretty great time to come in. We do orthopedic muscle testing. We do, uh, like, for example, we have you um, do single leg uh, bridges, can you do a single leg bridge, you know, 20 times and control your pelvic mobility and not have urinary incontinence, not have pelvic pressure, not have pain? That is, a, if you do, we're going, how do you think you're going to run and put all of your body weight through a single limb and then push off of that limb? Yeah, like so running like, is just like landing yeah. on one leg yeah. repetitively over and over and yeah. over again quickly. It's, it's interesting. After my last pregnancy, I went to one of the local like pretty much all women boot camp things. And, you know, I went religiously every day for a while, but it was really interesting because anytime we did jumping jacks, it was just a, okay. First of all, there were two jokes that happened like all the time, which I thought of you actually, Megan, when they happened, Mm -hmm. um, anytime you did jumping jacks, they, we would make this like class joke that like, Hey, if you have some issues with your pelvic floor, do them the opposite way. And it was just a joke. Like, like like your legs front to back. Yeah. So you do it front to back instead of this way. And then on cardio day, everybody would laugh that everybody should wear a panty liner. And I was like, can we just get to the point where like, I mean, it's fine, but it's just, it shows that like this is not talked about enough because it's just normal. Like there's panty lines in the bath. There's panty liners in the bathroom for cardio day. I'm like, does it, does it have to be, you know, does it have to be that way? I mean, maybe, maybe it will be forever, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, I don't know. I don't know. Cause it was happening across the class. You talk to anybody in the class who's like had multiple children and everybody was leaking on cardio. Day. You should be able to jump on a trampoline and not have leakage. It's never normal to pee yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I bet I, I don't think I could jump on a trampoline three months postpartum right now after six children. 
and not pay myself maybe not enough. maybe not three months sure, right? sure, sure. Yeah, yeah yeah which is but what like, we're talking about is yeah, you know yeah, when is it appropriate yeah, when you know appropriate two, and when it's not. a year or two after yes you should be able to do, do that. you understand what percentage of the population walks around right now and just thinks that they will leak for the rest of their life when they jump on a trampoline yeah a lot it's oh, like yeah. significant <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. it's it's really it's really unfortunate and i think doing things like what we're doing right now yeah is those are the things we need to be doing and we need to you know let that spread and share that and that's why you know we should be talking about that at the coffee shop yeah. and we mm-hmm. should share with our friends and all we, those we things. need to find like we definitely the more of you yeah but the more of like the riley's like the ones that like literally just discover it and say this is what i want to do and yeah. this is important because mm-hmm. I have, you're probably the first physical therapist I've ever met that's been like, I want to do pelvic floor stuff, you know? Oh yeah. I don't know. Like I just, <laughs> I think it's really cool because it's not, it's not like the trendy, like, and I don't know what is trendy in the pelvic. I'm, I'm I was going to say it's the, a little trendy right well, now. I think we're really trendy. like, we're, we're, we're like hitting our stride. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. definitely okay. like a, a push of like younger PTs coming out of school, like in school, like I graduated from PT school in 2017. Okay. Um, and which was not that long ago. And the director of my program is a pelvic health therapist. We had one four hour lecture on pelvic health. That's it. Whereas like we spent three months on a shoulder. That's what I'm saying. So, but I think now it's becoming more like, Oh, let's have a whole unit about pelvic floor stuff and like really get in there. Not like get in there, but like get more info. Somebody's not going to walk around. (laughs) I would say for like the rest of their life, not being able to like throw a ball in the front yard with their kids. They're going to go figure out what's wrong with their shoulder. Right, totally. Where a know, woman is going to jump on a trampoline with their child for the rest of her life and just say, Hey, it's okay that I have to go change my leggings after this because that's just what happens after you have a baby next to the um, bathroom pads. They should have like a little sign that says need a pelvic floor PT yeah. question mark and like have our card there. But I think so many, <laughs> but it's just, Someone, it's not, yeah. it's not, I don't know. It's just not talked about enough. I don't know. Well, we, we, we as, as like, I'm as, so happy you're here. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. As, as pa- people who are patients, I, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. we've been patients and you could yeah. be a patient. I could mm-hmm. be a patient again. Mm-hmm. I've been a patient of other pelvic health therapists. You know, we have to encourage people to say that's not good enough. And when you were asking about how somebody gets to pelvic health PT, people don't even always know to push for a PT mm-hmm. and even sometimes they ask and they get declined. So it, it uh, there's a real grassroots feeling to still our profession and, and pushing and saying, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It was cute. One of, one of the moms in the group, she has six kids. She's super active in the group, but she like posted the other day. She's like, I'm wearing my favorite dress because I don't really want to go to physical therapy today but i know and they're gonna have to do you know they're checked out but she like totally like destigmatized the whole thing she was just like but i'm gonna wear my pretty dress and i'm gonna go and my pelvic floor is gonna be healthier it's just so cool to start to see it and like there's been such a change i feel like since you were here yeah before. i do feel like it's, i feel like it's may, maybe you're right maybe it's starting to get trendy maybe I just you're like maybe you're hearing more. more because you're aware of it i mean yeah. you know we talked about a lot of things the first time i was here yeah i don't know maybe your your pa- patients on, or uh, people are kind of talking maybe. about it on your um, maybe facebook it's starting, cl- group maybe it's starting to get trendy we're leaning into it on on the social media too a lot of people are talking about it which i think is great mm-hmm. and we should keep leaning into it because it's it's we're here and we're it's not gonna we're not gonna go away Right. And all the, yeah, we will not. And the, you know, the things that we're talking about today are very much like standard parts of our practice. 
There's a whole bunch of other things that are much more complicated. There's neurologic patients, there's MS, there's Parkinson's, there's spinal cord injuries. We're not even talking about those things. The stuff that we're talking about today is like, we know what to do. This is not a mystery for us. So come and see us. We will help you. But it's interesting, all of those things you just listed. Mm -hmm. I don't think people would think twice about going and getting pelvic floor PT after something like that or in conjunction to that. But it's almost like sometimes after childbirth, like I said, it's just one of those things that we just accept. It's, it's part of being a woman, you know, it's part of having a baby is, you know, the changes that happen to your body that you just have to live with for the rest of your life. And I think the conversation is starting to change that there are people out there that have studied this and are there to help rehab it, which I think is just such a great word to use in the situation. So should we end there? Thanks guys. (laughs) Do you have anything else you (laughs) want to say? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's just, it's such a, it's such an important thing to keep talking about and to start, you know, really trying to, you know, bring attention to the fact that it doesn't have to be, you know, uncomfortable after you have a baby. Yeah. You can be strong. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can be strong. You can be controlled and have control of your, of your system and what's going on, no matter what it is. And I, I think what Riley said at the very beginning, I'd like to bring that back when she said Absolutely. empowered Absolutely. or empowering is what you said. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. it is. It's empowering. And um, even just the educational components to what we do, it really opens, opens it up for opportunities to change and to rehab and do yeah. all those things. It's just, a, it's such a lovely practice and um, I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for anything. Yeah. Agree. Thank you for caring and thank you for listening. I bet that goes like so far too. I mean, I think that a lot of this, of course, is is functional and it's rehab, but even just sitting and listening to somebody and especially in the postpartum is so important. So yeah, maybe we can recruit some clients to come and share their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That might be even more empowering. Yeah, I love it. But thanks for what you guys do. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Lovely. Lovely.